Hello and welcome to the first episode of the Port to Port podcast. I'm Gordon Rennie, your host, and this week I'm delighted to say that we're joined by John Wood, the CEO of Infrastrata. Now, if you're not aware of Infrastrata or, or aren't sure of the company, you may recognise this name, Harland & Wolf. Infrastrata acquired Harland & Wolf last year, and more recently they've acquired the Appledore Shipyard in England. John and Infrastrata have been celebrated recently in the press as the future of British shipbuilding. John started out as a seagoing marine engineer and has had an exceptional career so far. For me, this was a very enlightening conversation, and hopefully it will be for you too. So without further delay, let's get on with the podcast. Uh, so John, thanks thanks again for joining us. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on. Um, my introduction is not going to do you justice, that's for sure. Um, so if you don't mind, if you could just start us off and, and tell us who you are and a wee bit about yourself. Yeah, thanks very much. And it's good to be here. Um, I'm John Wood, the CEO of Infrastrata PLC. Um, more recently, we acquired the Appledore Shipyard and renamed it Harland & Wolf Appledore. And prior to that, we had acquired Harland & Wolf in Belfast. Um, so Infrastrata, um, a strategic energy infrastructure organisation. We've also got a gas storage project in Northern Ireland, Island McGee Energy. Um, so we've re- really focused on that strategic um, infrastructure space. Right, okay. Thank you. Um Given, obviously, the background, so Harlan Wolf, obviously, famous, famous um, shipyard. Um, we actually, one of the one of the gentlemen that I interviewed earlier on, he, he was talking about the Titanic and he actually brought it up and I was like, um, serendipitous there. But you, your background, you've, for, for a long time, obviously, you've been involved in um, shipbuilding and ship repair, I believe, uh, most of the shipbuilding side of it. Where, where, did your, where did your journey start within... The marine side, the marine industry, obviously going way back to uh, before Infrastrata. Well, I think if you go way way back, um, I've got a heritage in marine. Um, my father was a fisherman, um, grew up um, on and around fishing vessels and boats. Um, when I was 16, probably my career was destined to be uh, a fisherman on fishing vessels. However, the fishing industry had taken a dramatic um, change at that time. So I decided to join the Merchant Navy um, and join P&O Cruises as an engineering officer cadet um, and went through and served my time um, with P&O, working as an engineering officer on board Canberra, which funnily enough was built in Harland and Wolf um, back in the day. um, (laughs) And also served on various um, princess cruise ships um, around the globe. So I think that that started off my seagoing career, moved from seagoing ashore into ship repair, um, conversion, um, shipbuilding, moved from there into North Sea oil and gas industry, um, moved from there out to Houston, spent some time in Houston before um, moving across to Australia, where more recently I was involved in the AWD project, LHD project, um, and um, around the majority of the sustainment fleet for the Australian Navy, um, and won the ANZAC um, ESMD, that's the Anti-Ship Missile Defence System um, upgrade. So really quite a wide and varied um, career across ships, shipbuilding, oil and gas, and that really um, brings the, 
the role that I'm doing now into perspective a little bit because most of those sectors are, are covered by our, our current strategy that I'm sure we'll uh, we'll get to at some point. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. It's it's amazing to see. Well, I've also read that for, for Apple Door, one of the visions might be for the fishing side of things, so for trawlers as well, a lot more work on that side. And again, it's it's almost like full circle in so many ways from from when you were young. So what what made you not what made you go off into the merchant navy then? What was it about rather than going for the into the, the fishing side of things? Well, I think I was looking for a bit more, um, a bit more adventure, um, bit bit more, uh, you know, j- just a bit more of a challenge. Um, I'd obviously been on vessels um, since I was about eight, nine years old, um, and I was looking to do something a bit, a bit different. And I think, you know, going out, seeing the world, um, and you know, the, the idea was, you know, I'd always maybe get back to that at some point. Um, but, you know, your career path just goes in a certain way. Um, and I think, you know, you mentioned that we're looking at fishing vessels in Appledore. I think when you look at the fishing industry um, at the moment as a really changed industry um, compared to what it was, um, and there's a lot of new vessels getting constructed. And one of the beauties about Appledore is it's actually a twin site down there. You've got the main um, shipyard where the, the, the new vessels up to 120 metres are built, where you perhaps build uh, wind turbines, floating wind, um, bridges, pipe work for power stations and things like that. And then you've got the other yard, um, which has been traditionally known as the commissioning key, but it's also got a a large slipway on it. Um, And that's one of the first things we've reactivated um, is that slipway. And we're hoping um, to get the first vessel up within the next two, three weeks um, on that refurnished slipway. And really? I think, you know, if you look at the number of slipways that are down in that area, you've got vessels steaming all the way across to Holland um, for refits. You've got vessels steaming up to um, Whitby um, and Lowestoft. Um, the idea is to, to make it closer to home. Um, for some of the local vessels. And I think for us as a business, it really just gives you someplace else to, to deploy labour um, and just have another revenue centre. And I think it's always part, being in a small, tight-knit community like Appledore, um, to have that um, service for the local community. And I think when you look at Belfast, clearly we've got one, one of the biggest, uh, well, the biggest dry dock in the UK yeah, um, yeah. sitting in Belfast, in the building dock at 556 metres, then we've got the, the second biggest dock at 335. One of the things Belfast lacks is that smaller um, vessel dock space. So I think you know we're, we're keen to uh, get something on that smaller end in Belfast as well. Because I think it's not just fishing vessels that go on to that. It'll be survey vessels, patrol yeah. boats, tugs, and all that sort of thing. So there's a wide array of vessels that can go there and I think you know when you look at dry docks and, and dry docking vessels there's obviously a, a bit higher cost there whereas if you look at slipways um, you're able to stay lean and mean in that smaller end of the market. Yeah yeah definitely um, I mean one of the things is, well, we can get to any, any point you like obviously one of the things I was keen to touch on was 
was obviously reading, I think it was the tail end of last week as well, Moors came out. So for the the FSS vessels, for the um for the MOD, so that's that's a big a big thing coming up. What what is there anything you can say on that? I don't know what you what you can can't say. Well it's probably worth talking about um a strategy for the overall business. Uh, yeah of course before yeah before we get to individual contracts. When you look at the, the strategic vision uh, that we've got in place for Harland and Wolf, you only have to look around at the number of shipyards that, that, have, that have disappeared, really, in the UK. And you've got the, the geopoly um, of Barbcock and Bay and that, that shipbuilding um, sector um, that, that has sat there. Um, and really, when you look around the rest of the UK, um, apart from Carmelaird, we've just got the the Sir David Attenborough um, out on trials. It's pretty a pretty barn landscape. Yeah. Um, and I think that's really been through subsequent decades of subsequent governments um, really not caring or, or valuing um, the shipbuilding and ship repair industry. I think what we've seen in probably the last couple of years is a real turnaround and a real change in government appetite um, and I think for once, people are actually beginning to see what the shipbuilding industry can bring um, to the market. And, yeah, it's when you look at jobs, you're really at a make or break time um, in the UK now for regional um, jobs. When you look at places like Appledore, when you look at Belfast, you look at Sunderland, you look at Newcastle, um, you know, all, all these areas where traditionally have had a lot of shipbuilding jobs in them. Um, the work's been um, ferried off up to Scotland um, and, you know, all these other areas um, have been neglected. So I think look, one thing we're really keen to do is make sure we get activity happening in these areas to, to really retain those skills, build on the skills. And I think when you look at that market in the UK, the shipyards have failed. Obviously, Harland and Wolf um, failed. Appledore um, was closed down. And I think the, the key issue that, that's been wrong over the years, in our opinion anyway, with, with shipyards is there's been a focus on purely shipbuilding or in, in recent years, Harlan and Wolf went purely to renewable energy. Um, then when the work dries up and there's a gap, there's no work and you know all the guys get laid off again and all the skills you've invested in um, all go to other people. One of the things that, that worked really well for me in Australia was we, we broadened the business out and said we'd look you know, at five different sectors um, and inside those five different se- sectors uh, we'd look at five different um, markets, that sorry, six different markets that we carry out. And I think you know, defence that you mentioned earlier is just one of them. So we've got defence, we've got the commercial um, maritime, we've got oil and gas, we've got cruise and ferry and we've got renewables. And I think, you know, inside um, that space, we're looking at everything from the start of the, the complete life cycle management, technical services and design, through to your fabrication and construction. And that that's not only vessels, that could be vessels, um, bridges, um, pipework, viaducts, tunnels, um, structural steel for office buildings. So that's really that large scale um, fabrication then you've got your standard um, repairs and maintenance work, which is using the dry docks um, and alongside 
in-service support, which really looks at projects all around the globe while the vessel's in service, then your larger conversion projects, and then at the end of the, pro the project lifecycle um, decommissioning. So I think it's really important to split that up. And I think what, if you look at it at the moment, obviously defence, um, there's quite a bit point in that market in going forward over the next decade. Um, commercial market, there's quite a bit of work um, potentially there. Renewables um, is obviously a huge potential. And look, with the yards that we've got, direct loadout facility, the board really well um, into those markets. Um, cruise and ferry, we've obviously really started off strong um, in the ferry market. We've had three cruise ships um, into the yard already. Um, we've got another five um, we're looking at at the moment. And I think the beauty with cruise ships is the, the size of the docks we've got are ideal. Um, you know, there's no other dock in the UK that, that can take those large vessels. Yeah. Um, and the beauty about them is, um, you know, you're getting a lot of add-on value um, and a large project in two, three weeks. So that's the overall um, market that we're going after, um, the various different sectors inside that market. So I think you mentioned FSS. That's one of the projects that we are actively chasing. This Team Resolute, which yeah, yep. is a joint venture um, between ourselves, um, Navantia and BMT. I worked with Navantia um, out in Australia. Um, we, when I came back to the UK, one of the things we acquired Harland and Wolf. One of the things we did was we went to the incumbents in the UK and said, we've just acquired Harland and Wolf. we're here, um, we'd like to work with everybody, we didn't get any traction. Um, I was obviously involved in delivering LHD with Navantia, had a really good relationship, delivered um, the vessels ahead of budget um, and ahead of time, which is always a, a good start and a, a positive yeah. bonus on the recent track record um, in the UK. So we saw that was a good place to start. And I think, you know, when you're looking to really um, ramp up activities um, in import skills, um, what better than doing it from um, guys that are really good at the job and they want to be in the UK market. So there's a lot of technology transfer um, we see getting out of that relationship with Avantia. But it's not just about um, FSS. There's obviously um, about another four or five defence projects we're looking at with Navantia. We're looking at five wind projects with them, um, with one of their partners, Windair. Um, they're obviously the leading floating wind um, manufacturers globally at the moment who've got a full order book for um, the, the coming few years. Um, and then obviously cruise Navantia heavily into the cruise market. So. Yeah. You know, I think it's a, an overall wide-ranging um, tie-up and collaboration, but it's not exclusive. There'll be some projects that we can work with Avantia. There'll be some projects that we're better off on our own. Um, and it's always about adding value to the client. If we can't add value, then, you know, there's no point um, be, being in a, a joint venture with somebody for a project. Yeah, of course, yeah. Um one of the so a couple of the success stories, obviously for the first year. Um, I actually don't think it's really it's it's been given the the press it deserves. But obviously you've had the likes of Stena and you've had Viking in from um, 
I mean, is there is there more for the Scandinavian market? Obviously, there's a big cruise market up there as well. Is that is that a, a target market for you? I think when you look at what we've done, um, hey, it's not the uh, idea to buy a shipyard and then have a global pen- pandemic for uh, <laughs> True. the first uh, half of the time that you... Oh, you- come on, John, you must have saw that coming. <laughs> it's certainly character building stuff. In all seriousness, we've, you know, we, we got our first ship into the dock um, from Sea Trucks on the 23rd of December last year. Right. Um, and look, we've slowly built up from there. We had a lot of work to do um, to get the, the yard back up to a standard where we were happy with it. Um, so we've actually had the, the main dock gate out in the Belfast dock and upgraded that. We've taken advantage of a little bit of downtime that we've had um, with the, the pandemic. But look, we've, we've kept busy. We've had vessels in from... P&O, um, sea trucks, Stena, Irish ferries. Um, we've even got a vessel, Ocean X, that's come all the way across from St. John in Canada um, in, into the yard. Is that a ferry? Because I know they were going for a ferry contract a couple of years back, or is that a, is that a bulk? That's a, a lot. It's a hybrid of a vessel. Um, it can be a ferry. Um, it can be low load. It can be deck cargo. But it's a, a big chunk of a vessel now. The reason they chose to come into Harland and Wolf was because of the, the skills and services and the engineers that we've got on site um, in relation to the, the, a stern gear problem that they had. Um, and I think to bring them all the way from Canada across into to Harland and Wolf shows the sort of reputation that we're building already in the, the short time that we've been around. Yeah. And I think we... We didn't get the keys um, to the yard until the 5th of December um, last year. So I think it was, you know, about 18, 19 days from when we got the keys till we got the, the first ship in the dock. And, you know, that was certainly a baptism of fire trying to get the yard ready yeah. um, for that. But look, I think we've done all right. I think we've always um, kept things in the yard. We've all, always kept busy. Look, we could be busier. We filled the yard for the first time um, this month. Um, but I think right. it's just getting that steady flow um, of work coming through and getting, you know, closing in some of the gaps that we've got. But when you, you start something like this, you cannot, you always have to expect um, that there is going to be gaps and it is going to get, take time to uh, come together. Um, but I think, look, we're, we're happy all in all with it. I think you're right. I don't think we, we have restri- received the, the products for the, the amount that we have done um, in the time, given the circumstances. I think when you look at the cruise market, I think, you know, that's the first time there's been three cruise vessels in that yard since 1912 when the Titanic was there. Yeah. Um, and I think we'll continue, you know, if you look at the cruise market now, it's obviously taken a, a fairly big button. Um, but there's a lot of vessels out of class now cruise vessels that will be coming back into service over the next six months. So yeah, I think yeah. we, we've got a large amount of cruise potential work um, to come into the yard over the next six months. And I think now that we've established ourselves as a cruise yard, we see at least you know two or three cruise um, dry dockings every year um, coming into the yard. And I think for us, it's about getting that nice blend um, of different types of projects. So if one market takes a bit of a dip, you, you've still got the other um, markets. The one that we're really 
working on at the moment um, is our fabrication um, offering. And I think we see that as something fairly um, meaty that, that we're keen to get, get kick-started, that we're hoping to have a contract in this year um, that will get that moving. We've also just acquired um, a new panel line, robotic panel line, um, for the fabrication facility. There were a couple of reasons for that, really. It just um, gets our productivity um, up to a level where we, we can compete uh, with the best of them within Europe um, and for projects that have you know, got a mixture of steel, automation, control, weapon systems, um, you know, those type of projects were there. Um, yeah. Still never compete with the Far East for you know, dumb steel um, in, you know, large steel jobs. Yeah. But I think projects where the, the systems integration and things like that, we see there's a, a real um, opportunity for us to compete. We, we're not here just to make up the numbers. Um, I think, you know, the market can see already from what we've done since we arrived, we're, we're here to compete, we're here to be competitive. Yeah. And I think given the, the competitiveness of the overhead structure that we've got, um, we're managing to, to stand our own. And I think we'll push on. And I think it's all about uh, market confidence. Um, we'll continue to increase job size and increase job size. But look, for us, it's all about us controlling the risk and making sure the risk profile of the projects that we're going after really match the skills um, and the labour force that we've got. Um, yeah. One of the things we're not going to do is just take projects on at any cost um, or, or any risk profile. Um, we really want to make sure it's uh, right for us, you know. Yeah, most recent, well, I don't want to name names, but obviously some of the, the recent things in the UK is, it might not have been the case and it's, it's obviously ended up in a, a bit of a mess. But um, in terms of the... I'm uh, conscious of time as well, but in terms of, well, there's a couple of things that you've been classed as obviously the, the future of British shipbuilding, which is going to be a fair assessment with the with the size of it. But the the vision for for both Appledore's the site and obviously Belfast. Do you do you feel? And I know obviously you've touched on it a few times, and it's about the regional jobs as well. Do you feel as if the the skills are available still? The, or do you think there needs to be massive amount of apprenticeship training programs or, or do you think it's already in place there or thereabouts? I think it's a really interesting subject. It's one that I'm fairly passionate about. Um, okay. We've been trying to get an apprenticeship scheme set up and moving in Belfast since we, we got the keys. Um, I was always led to believe that governments were supportive of apprenticeship schemes and they wanted to get them up and running. Um, the devolved government in Northern Ireland have done absolutely nothing to assist uh, around the apprenticeship um, scheme. And we've actually just sort of given up a little bit and we, we're actually pushing ahead with that on our own because we do feel apprenticeship schemes are really key to the future um, for moving forward. And look, I think when you look at skills, two different places, two different sets of problems, really. Um, if we take Belfast and continue with that first, there's a lot of old, um, really knowledgeable, good tradesmen um, that have got good shipbuilding skills, um, marine electricians, pipe fitters, welders, um, 
So we're really privileged by the, the, the strength and depth, but we're missing probably two generations um, as they're coming through. So I think what we what are, what are the, the two missing generations that I speak of, they've gone off um, working in a, abroad um, in a summer and there's a big chunk in Australia, there's a big chunk in Canada, there's a chunk in the US. Um, our goal at the moment is to, you know, let everybody know the lights are back on. Um, there is a plan for the future. There is a strategy. And it's really getting all those skills that have been lost to faraway uh, locations, get them back home into the yard where they belong. Yeah. When you look at Appledore, it's slightly different. We really didn't know uh, when we acquired the yard um, what the opportunity was what livelihood skills were there and what, what we could get back and what we could get back quickly. Um, we did a careers day and we were absolutely blown away. I think we had just shot 700 people um, that turned up to the careers day from old grey beards that have worked in the yard for years um, to new people that are looking to get involved and start their career and get into the yard. Um, so we really don't see skills as a, a major um, issue. We think, yes, we need apprenticeship skill schemes in both places. We probably need some retraining skill schemes in both places to bring uh, other alignment. And I think, you know, at, at the moment, when you look at the job market, we're probably fortunate a little bit um, that there's a lot of skills that are, are very similar that we can retrain into. So we think there's all to play for, and I think any all this illusion and nonsense that the UK can't be productive to to build a ship. I think we did various um, man hour per ton calculations when we were looking at FSS and yeah. compete um, man hour per ton with the best of them um, around Europe. Where the difference is is the, the cost um, of labour um, around Europe we're one of the higher costs. So again, that's where when you look at the, the panel line, the robotics, um, that's where we we try and recover some of that extra um, cost back um, yep. by introducing robotics. Um, so look, we, we think we will build ships. Um, again, in, in Harland and Wolf, um, probably um, Appledore, um, we'll kick off on the first complete build before Belfast. Um, Belfast um, will probably kick off um, on component and block parts for other yards um, and then eventually come into its own um, and build vessels. I mean, the beauty with Belfast, for example, you know, we had one inquiry recently for 12 patrol boats, um, you know, with inside the... 30,000 square metres of um, fabrication space, we can actually build 12 patrol boats uh, on a production line, one after the other, and have lots of space left over. Um, right, right. There's no other facility in the UK that can do something like that. So I think like, we're full of optimism. Um, the market certainly welcomed our arrival, um, and we've certainly not been disencouraged from um, vessel building. We've had inquiries from um, small cruise vessels, expedition vessels, patrol boats, surveys, tugs, fishing vessels, um, you know, across a whole um, palatha different types of 
um, defence vessels. So it's really about you know hunkering down, um, doing the hard work, and uh, start continuing to deliver because you're only as good as the last job you deliver. You know. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> People don't have a, a long memory when it comes to to shipbuilding, um, but no. And uh, again, conscious of time, so to to end the basically end the, the podcast, we, we go through just a couple of questions. Um, it's more about the kind of personal side of you. So for you, in, what's been your biggest influences in, in your career? I mean, you can take anything from, from people to, to, to even to books. Is there anyone that, or any books or anything that stands out? Uh, I think when you, you, you one book that I've read recently um, that, that really is kind of giving me a lot of food for thought is uh, The Rise and Fall of Harland and Wolf by Tom McCloskey. Um, I've spent a lot of time sort of reading through that in looking at the, the, the way that yard's come through and the way it's, it's gone through and, and then failed again. So I think that really goes across the, everything in life. And I think, you know, I had a, a, a superintendent um, whilst I was eight years ago um, who, who was a bit of a mentor and I was speaking to him only recently and he, uh, you know, his, his advice at, at that time was, you know, if you get the right people in the right place, you, you can't get shipbuilding back in Britain again. And it's all about getting that right team of people with the right vision and the right focus. Because I think if you focus too, too much on the glass being half empty, um, you'll never see it for what it is and you'll never take the opportunity. I think, you know, the fact that we've done the two acquisitions fairly quick on the back of each other um, shows the appetite that we've got. It kind of really cements where we see the opportunity in the market um, and the investment community that's around infrastructure share that same vision, you know? Yeah, yeah. Do you think there's an appetite from, from the company for to to acquire more sites? Then obviously with, with demand, I suppose, obviously increasing, but would that be down the line, would that be something you would, would consider? Well, when, you, when you look at the the, num, the number of vessels that are required to be built in the UK, um, you know, there's over 200 vessels over the next 10 years, sovereign vessels alone, um, and that's vessels for either you know defence or uh, government-owned entities. Um, and then you look at the Prime Minister's recent ship um, shipbuilding strategy um, and local content and keeping work in the UK. You then add that onto the the renewable um, journey that the country's going on um, to get all the, the floating renewable and renewable energy up and running. Um, we believe that every yard in the UK will actually be maxed out um, within the next eight years, assuming everything that, that should happen does happen. So right, I think right. certainly, you know, for us, if there's other sites that come up that complement what we are doing, then we'll look at it. If there's other businesses where we can vertically, vertically integrate a bit more, then we'll certainly look at that. I, think, I don't think you ever say never say never. Um, I think it's keep, keep your options open. Yeah. And if there's a, a deal to be done, then let's look at the deal. Um, I think as far as infrastructure goes, 
Um, you know, we've got other projects on the go that, that we're bringing um, through at the same time. So I think it's just keep keep our eye open. And, uh, you know, that one of the beauties we've got is we're, we're lean, we're mean, we're nimble, we can move quick. Yeah, um, yeah. And that was the, the reason that we managed to, to get ahead um, and do the, the acquisition on both um, Belfast Yard and the Appledore Yard um, was the speed that we're able to move up. Yeah, no, brilliant. It's an incredible story. Um, but just to, to sign off, um, we ask everyone that we have on the the story from their first memory of their, their first ever vessel that they were on or a story around something similar. So I'd imagine this might involve your dad, but I'd be, be curious to hear. Well, I think I'll give you two, actually. I well, think I'll it, give you the, the first uh, vessel I was ever on was a 70-foot was a scene netter when I went away from my first trip um, on a boat and you know it was the amazement of seeing all these bags and bags of fish cut coming on a fishing boat yeah, um, yeah. and it's something that, that's always uh, stuck stuck in my memory and you know the sights like that are certainly not seen uh, on a day-to-day basis now right. um, and I think that from me and my own personal career um, I think walking up the, the gangway of the Canberra the first time um, I joined the vessel as a as a cadet, um, and the first time I went down the engine room, and you you, you smelt the smell, got the vibration, and then the heat finally hit you. Um, it's certainly something that will never uh, never go away away from you. The same as blowing uh, boiler tubes in in the middle of Asia, when uh, it's certainly not the uh, coldest place to be uh, stripping stripping boilers apart, you know. The good thing about Asia, I suppose, is the humidity is always quite low as well, so it wouldn't have really affected you in the engine room. <laughs> it's uh, it certainly interesting times. <laughs> and, you, know, you, you never forget your roots, um, and I think you, you never forget the even you know the Canberra, the way it was built. Um, and you, you look at Belfast now, and it's obviously a shadow of its former self. And uh, you know, as you said earlier, it's gone round a bit of a full circle. And I uh, look forward to uh, getting it back where it where it belongs. You know? Yeah, well, good. Well, I'm sure I'm not alone in saying we wish you all the best, and that'll come from probably everyone involved in shipbuilding and even in the marine industry across the UK and further afield. So, John, it's been an absolute pleasure. I really, really appreciate you coming on. Um, I hope I'm, I'm sure people will be inspired by by some of your stories, and we can hopefully all push on together. So, thanks again. No problem. Thank you very much for having me and I look forward to uh, coming back once we've uh, laid our first keel and telling you uh, a bit about that. Sounds good. Sounds good to me. Thanks very much. Cheers, John. So that was the first episode of the Port to Port podcast. Such a great story for the future of shipbuilding in the UK and great to speak with John about his journey so far. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you did, please hit like, share and subscribe and hopefully you'll join us next week for our second episode. I'm Gordon Rennie and this has been the Port to Port podcast. Thanks for listening and stay safe wherever you are in the world.